0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the BCP podcast. I am your brother, I am your host James, the Black Conservative Patriot, and I'm going to go with Black Conservative Patriot today because it's June 18th. And folks, it feels good to I haven't had a bad cough or like really hacking cough in like over 18 hours. It's great to be back on camera. It's great, great to be back with you folks. But really, as you can see, I just took one day off. I think it was Thursday. And I did an episode Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And here we are Monday, Juneteenth for you. Now, Juneteenth, now a federal holiday. It is the memorialization, the commemorization, the remembrance of... June 19th, 1865. I'll have to look this up. I don't remember the name of the military leader that officially announced to everyone hey, look, sl- the Emancipation Proclamation, the war is won, all uh, slavery is abolished in the United States and Texas. Hey, Texas, yeah, you got to stop practicing slavery. and now it's a federal holiday. Now, as a black conservative patriot, if you ask me about slavery, I have a very very unpopular to many people stance on this. It is a awful and some would say shameful part of United States history, but we freaking had a war in which white people gave their lives to free black slaves. I know that's unpopular. But that's the truth. There has never been a mass sacrifice by black people to free other black slaves, ever. Yet we had a prolonged war in the United States. Now I know that the entire Civil War wasn't all about slavery. I know that's another false fallacy. I guess that's redundant. About the Civil War. But that was the main issue: the secession of the Southern states, and of course, the Union wanting to hold the entire Union together. The 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 the, the, the South seceding, and many of the people that fought on the Southern. I know this. I know this is going to upset a lot of people because it's not you know it's not part of the revisionist history that we're taught. A lot of the people that fought on the Southern side weren't necessarily for slavery, but they weren't for the tyranny of the Union. Uh, they were for states' rights. And many of them, I don't know how many, I don't even think maybe perhaps a majority, but some of them were like, look, I am not for slavery, but I'm for our right as a southern state to decide what we do because we are United States, not a federal tyranny. I know we don't get taught that in school, All that there were myriad issues uh, involved. But it, it, it did come down to slavery as the South wanted to practice that evil institution, seceded on that and other issues so that they could be independent, and we had a war. And once again, I want to thank my white brothers and sisters who have ancestors that gave their lives... Limb, property, future, to fight the fight which ended slavery in the United States of America. I know that's unpopular to say, but it's the truth. And I think it needs to be said more. Do not, do not fall into the white guilt, my brothers and sisters, of Caucasian ancestry that you are inherently evil. Because slavery is still practiced in Arab, Middle East, in Africa. I guess we're supposed to forget that due to bad policy or by design policy, as I like to call it, by Barack Hussein Obama and by Hillary Clinton and the destabilization, trying to take down and taking down Muammar Gaddafi, that we now have open slavery. Uh, You can see it on the internet, maybe not on YouTube, maybe they scrubbed it from YouTube, but you can go on the internet and see open slave markets in Africa. White people are inherently evil because they practice slavery. Slavery is still practiced by black and Muslim people in America, uh, excuse excuse me, in Africa and Middle East today, as well as there are still Remnants of actual slavery, the Uyghurs in China, oh, they may call them re-education camps or whatever, but when you are enslaved because uh, you're a different people and you're made to work against your will, that's slavery. And of course, we have sex slavery, child trafficking slavery, having right now children coming through the border working in meat plants and other dangerous Institutions in the United States to pay off cartel debt to bring them here. Oh, indentured servitude is what we learned in school. That's called. I know, folks, when you're a free thinker like myself and you're taught uh, critical thinking skills, it's liberating. It's liberating to not be part of the brainwashing the, and I'm not, it's not me folks. I'm, t- I'm talking to us collectively. This, you are listening to this program because you are not part of the matrix. You're impl- a plug for the matrix. You may be within the matrix, but you know, it's a programming. You know, they're always trying to, and, and are trying to gaslight you, propagandize you, give you false narratives or whatever. Isn't it great? Isn't it just great to be free from that? It was an amazing thing to watch over the last several years. People literally lining up. Not a good thing. I'm saying it was a crazy thing to actually see people lining up to get an untested vaccine. And I'm not an anti-vaxxer, folks. But an untested vaccine that was developed so quickly by big pharma that wants to make money over a sickness that was overblown to begin with. And it's sad to see, sad to see over the weekend... Mrs. BCP shared with me on on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but uh, f- uh, share with me on Facebook all of these people that we know that have gotten sick. We we, we have a uh, someone that we used to worship with. Um, you know, we just moved, so you know we would still be worshiping with them. But someone we used to worship with that is losing their eyesight. A young a young mother using uh, losing her eyesight. And I was like, Yeah, Mort, where they were how do you know they were a jab? She's like, oh no. This was a couple that was out there like showing their out their fauci ouchie. This was someone that's out there going, oh no, we got the jab. Let everybody on Facebook know it. And now they're letting everybody on Facebook know that they may be losing their vision. We love these people and we feel bad for them that they had to go through this and their eyes weren't opened. But I digress. I was talking about slavery and Juneteenth. And then we have this ridiculous thing, California trying to promise reparations. Uh, Newsflash, California was never a slave state. Well, a slave state in the traditional sense of a slave state. Now check this out. So the last few months, the there's been a, a reparation task force in California, and they've been talking about all the money that's going to be done and given and what have you for black people. I mean, this thing is ridiculous. They've raised the expectation of people to these levels that are just completely bonkers. We're going to get millions each or whatever. Well, I know, you know, and the budget knows that California is now, uh, even though they're at a surplus, they're now running a deficit of like $30 billion. Simply put, there's no money in the coffers to pay this out. And guess what the stupid people in California are now finding out? That the state is starting to tiptoe, starting to backtrack and downplay the expectations. Check out this uh, Fox News report. Black Californians told to have broader view on what reparations could be Not expect cash payments. Bait and switch, anybody? Bait and switch. Local leaders are calling for moderated expectations for what reparations will actually look like for black California residents. California is one of the multiple states negotiating over economic reparations for black Americans whose ancestors were victimized by the Atlantic slave trade and its aftermath. Its aftermath. That is how California is justifying this. Uh, Who did those Atlantic slave traders get their black African slaves from? Oh yeah, other black African tribes who had enslaved them and sold them to the slaves. Why aren't we getting reparations from West African countries for the aftermath of African Americans here? African Americans is a misnomer. I don't really care if you use African Americans. I prefer black American because I'm American first. And I'm just black. And and look, as a Latino, I have no problem with identifying people by what they look like. It's American. uh, If you're new around here, I'm half black, half Puerto Rican. And the Latino culture, I think for all Latinos, is you just call people by their physical characteristics. It's not a judgment of their character. So un morenito, un negrito, un negrote. A brown guy. A little black guy. That'd be me. I'm El Negrito. I'm the the, 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 the tiny, petite, 5'3 black guy. I'm El Negrito. El Negrote. That'd be like, um, I have a good friend. Um, I almost said his name. I'm not going to. But my uh, good friend Tommy. Oops. I just gave you a shout out, Tommy. How tall is Tommy? 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, He's a Negrote. Big black guy. It's not offensive in Spanish to go, Oh, El Negrote. Tommy's a big guy. Or me and Negrito. James is a short guy. And we're black. That's it. No, there's there's no judgment on our character, who we are as a person. It's just a physical uh, characteristic. When I lived in Central America, I remember this one man that would always... Uh, Don Ramon was his father-in-law. And he had two daughters. And... They would be like, oh, there we a conversation and he would talk about Don Ramon. And he goes, yeah, I married Don Ramon's uh, daughter. And they'd be like, oh, Don Ramon, which one? He goes, the big fat white one. Because she was. She was una, una gorda chela. That's a, a, a Nicaraguan word for, uh, for white. For white skin. Not a big deal. El flaquito. Uh, Juniorette. Who along with Junior is killing it on YouTube as of late. Congrats to them. Yes. Proud Father moment. Post Father's Day Pride for Junior and Juniorette. What they're doing over on their uh YouTube channel. We called Juniorette for years La Flaca. Because she was skinny. She was she was a bean pole. We didn't hate our daughter because she was skinny. Anyhow, I'm, this is the unfiltered edition, folks. I am digressing because I just feel good. I feel, you know, it's good. You really value your health after coming off of a sickness. And and, and this, this little summer cold I had wasn't that bad. It was just the coughing that was just like so frustrating. And it's just great to be free of that. I feel even my mind clearer. Maybe I have all this pent up conversations i want to have with you but that's why we've become the bcp podcast more of a long form i'm going to get to the news and we're going to cover quite a bit of it but i'm going to have some commentary along the way but black africans in west africa sold black african slaves to white slave traders why aren't we getting reparations from western africa i ask And that little tangent that went on is because that is why I prefer to be called a black American because I'm American and I'm black and there's nothing wrong with, say, the black guy. Well, isn't that a bad thing? Is this, if you want to describe someone, the tall guy, the black guy, the fat guy, the skinny guy, the guy in a wheelchair, the guy who speaks to the lisp. Is this, he does. Which guy over there? Oh, oh, I, I I had this incident once. I had this incident once. Uh, kind of funny. This happened to me uh, in college, and we were trying to figure out. We, we I remember we were sitting, eating. In the food court, and we were trying to talk about someone that that was in. This was when I was getting my economics degree. Someone that was, um, within, one of our accounting classes. I, I have a, a minor, if you will, in accounting. And they were trying to let me know who this person was, like a Christopher. It was a name that was kind of like very American, like Christopher or Jonathan or something like that. And they're trying to figure out, oh, the tall guy. What my... It was a it was a tall black guy, but they wouldn't say black to me. They wouldn't describe this other guy who were trying to figure out. And I don't remember the reason why I was trying to figure out what it was, but we didn't figure out who it was. They would not tell me he was the black guy. In this accounting class. They gave me every other uh, explanation of him. Except that he was a black guy. I'm like why don't you just tell me he was the black guy. But we don't want to offend you. My white brothers and sisters. Stop with the white guilt. It's ridiculous. And it's embarrassing. Many of you have ancestors who fought for the freedom of black slaves in America. Take pride in that. You come from good stock. All right, let's get back to this, uh, this Fox article. California is one of the multiple states negotiating over economic reparations for black Americans whose ancestors were victimized by the Atlantic slave trade and its aftermath. While the state of California was designated as a free state when it joined the union in 1850, their plans include restitutions for actions like redlining and policing of the black community in the past. I'm not going to sit here and make the promise that everybody's going to get a check, said State Senator Stephen Bradford, a Democrat, one of the task force members. I want people to have a broader view on what reparations could be and a greater acceptance that it might take a little time. Reparations was a repairing of 40 acres and a mule. Give us some cash. Give us some land. Give us now 40 acres and a mule. Folks, that was the original promise. Okay. As far as promises go... That's a pretty damn good promise. Why? It wasn't we're going to give you cash. We were going to give you land and a mule to be able to feed yourself to be self-reliant. The idea behind that is completely different than today. Think about that. 40 acres and a mule was so that you could go as a free now black African, former black African slave, you're going to get 40 acres and a mule. You are going to get a handout. You are going to get the tools to be self-reliant. But now, no, reparation means, means we're going to give you some cash. We're going to give you preferential treatment. Not an opportunity. Not the work. We're not going to give you the means. We're going to give you the ends of the reward. But hey, don't expect cash now, California saying. And it's not going to be right away. It's going to take some while. Uh, take take some. Uh, don't expect cash, and it's going to take a while. You know, of course, because we're broke and we just can't hand out cash. Bradford has warned before that people must be realistic about their expectations. He declared, "I don't want to set folks' expectations and hopes up that they're going to be getting, you know, seven figure checks. That's just not happening." And of course, some people are still pushing for that hard earned cash. Hard-earned not for the people receiving it, hard-earned cash by the people that paid the state of California in taxes, fees, and other things disguising themselves as anything but the actual tax burden that they are in California. So glad I'm freed from, for the most part, of that California tyranny. Now, one tyranny we're not freed of, folks, is China. China, China, China. Let's talk China. By the way, we have uh, Bill Gates meeting with his old friend, Xi Jinping, or Xi Jinping meeting with his old friend, Bill Gates. Their first state visit since 2019. You know, the same Bill Gates that's behind the pushing of the bioweapon known as, or masquerading itself as a vaccine for COVID-19. A bioweapon. Developed in China. By the American deep state. I think it's ultimate goal was depopulation. It was half-baked. And not as bad as they had hoped it would be. But that's okay. The real thing was the jab. They scared us with the fake bio disease. Fake meaning. Okay. COVID is a horrible. Horrible. Flu. Strain. It's one of the worst that's out there. But children are pretty much immune and it really hurts the same people that have a tendency to die from the flu. But that was great cover to steal the election of 2020 and it was great cover to get people to get all jabbed up. And unfortunately, people are getting sick all the time because of it. And Bill Gates, of course, loves vaccines. He loves depopulation. And he supposedly loves the environment but he took a private jet to meet with Xi Jinping at Beijing State Guest House, a place reserved for high-level foreign dignitaries. Xi referred to Gate as an old friend and expressed optimism for future cooperation beneficial to both nations. No. First of all, Bill Gates does not represent the United States in any official capacity, nor as an unofficial capacity. We don't care what Bill Gates wants. Matter of fact, I take that back. We do care what Bill Gates wants. We want we want the exact opposite. We want freedom, good health, and not being subject to uh, American oligarchs and elitists of which Bill Gates is one. And we don't want to be poisoned and forced to take poison. So, matter of fact, we pretty much detest Bill Gates and whatever he is for, we're probably diametrically opposed and probably... I would say, on average, want the exact opposite Bill Gates wants. So he does not represent what's beneficial to our country, Xi Jinping. But you know that. Xi Jinping only cares what's beneficial, not even to China and Chinese, but to the Chinese Communist Party and their power structure. But he welcomed Bill Gates. But what's scarier is what happened over this past weekend. And Tony Blinken, Secretary of State and deep stater of the Obama-Clinton variety, has pretty much just given carte blanche and green light for the Chinese Communist Party to invade Taiwan.
1: The world watching a high-stakes meeting this morning as the U.S. works to pull relations with China back from the brink. Secretary of State Antony Blinken face-to-face with Chinese President Xi Jinping today in Beijing.
2: President Biden asked me to travel to Beijing because he believes that the United States and China have an obligation to responsibly manage our relationship.
1: Blinken, who's been holding marathon sessions with other senior Chinese leaders, is the highest ranking U.S. official to visit China since President Joe Biden took office and the first Secretary of State to do so in five years.
0: And what did he do while he was there? Well, he said this. Let let me play you the clip and then we'll break it down.
2: On Taiwan, I reiterated the longstanding U.S. One China policy. Uh, That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences.
0: Now, I'm no expert in all the intricacies having to do with the one China policy because it really is a somewhat hypocritical one China policy. And Anthony Blinken here is saying, Hey, we, we we want we like the status quo. Basically, they want the status quo. But when you come out and say, Hey, we support the one China policy, the one China policy of 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 China is that Taiwan is part of China, even though Taiwan has never been a part of China. They've oh, they were set up as an independent state from the get go. Given the weakness of the of the current Washington, D.C. establishment, meaning the Obama Soros control masquerading as a Joe Biden administration. That's just saying, go ahead, China, go ahead and invade Taiwan. That's essentially what it's saying. Go ahead and invade Taiwan. We support the one policy. We want the status quo, but uh, you know we want things to be as they have been, but we support the Chinese view Go ahead, green light. Go ahead and take over Taiwan. Now, why this is, I, want, I don't want to use the word bold statement, an interesting statement is because just last year, twice, the Biden administration said that they support Taiwan and would defend Taiwan against aggression. But now everything is being backtracked. Because that's how Democrats and liars are. Whether it's slave reparations or the defense of Taiwan against big bad bully, the Chinese Communist Party. See what I just did there? I just tied back the, uh, the first story and this story. What are your thoughts? Put it down below. Let's move on. A NEW QUINNIPIAC
3: POLL SHOWING FORMER PRESIDENT DONALD TRUMP AND
2: PRESIDENT BIDEN IN A STATISTICAL TIE EVEN AFTER TRUMP'S INDICTMENT AND ABC'S JONATHAN CARL HAD THIS REACTION TO THAT. A POLL FROM QUINNIPIAC on a, ON a
0: POSSIBLE BIDEN-TRUMP MATCH matchup PUTS BIDEN AT 48%, TRUMP AT 44%. THIS IS A POLL AGAIN uh, TAKEN LARGELY AFTER THE INDICTMENT. Uh, I mean, that's got to make you a little nervous. That's within the margin of error. That is a statistical tie. So what does that say about Biden if what, he's what barely it? No, beating or in some polls it's, actually it's it's a, it's- All right, much to the chagrin of the left, the Marxists, the treasonous, traitors, rat bastard, elitists in D.C., the Democrat Party, and everyone else who opposes freedom and liberty, and those in the deep state, even though they go after Trump with fake indictment, sham impeachments, and hoax after hoax, even their own polling data shows it's not affecting Trump. Unfortunately, and actually it is affecting Trump in that it seems to have been helping him as of late with the increase in being able to raise money And among Republicans, it's hurting DeSantis as people are gravitating even more toward President Trump. We want who we want. We don't want who they want. We want elections, not selections. But unfortunately, President Trump is still dealing with these faux uh, faux, fake indictments. We've got two updates here. One, it looks like they are trying to do a dry run, and prepare for an indictment in Georgia for President Trump. And we also have, thanks to Catherine Herridge over at CBS, insight into what Trump's lawyers are doing to take a sneak peek at what the DOJ is doing in the federal indictment. Let's first uh, look at coverage having to do with the possible and most likely upcoming indictment of President Trump in Georgia.
4: Let's focus on uh, Fonnie Willis, Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor, because there's been a new development. Fonnie Willis announced in April, just this past April, in letters that she sent to the Fulton County, Georgia sheriff and all people related to the administration of justice in downtown Atlanta, where she she works, Mm -hmm. that she was looking to uh, bring her indictment bring her grand jury against Donald Trump and others starting on 7-11, easy to remember, July 11th, and concluding on September 1, that she anticipated that there would be an indictment of unnamed people, but we know that means Donald Trump. Somewhere in the um, second or third week of July or the first week in August, she asked the Fulton County Sheriff's Office to coordinate with local uh, and federal police and law enforcement to make sure that there was the peace was kept in downtown Atlanta, at the state house, at the courthouse, and at the DA's office, which all sit across from each other. We know that happened in April, but now we have a new development. The Fulton County Sheriff, Pat Labatt, took it very seriously and decided to uh, detail a group of deputy sheriffs from his office to go both to New York, And just this past week to go to Miami to observe courtroom and courthouse area security measures successfully used in New York and now in Miami so they could bring it back home
0: to Fulton County, Atlanta. Of course, that means that they're planning and preparing for the indictment of President Trump in Fulton County, Atlanta, GA, on September 11th. But 7-11, July 11th, MSNBC, because they love anything they having to do with the indictment of President Trump, are all, are all over this story. Greg, Atlanta police, Fulton County Sheriff's Office, they both sent employees to Miami this week. Talk me through how these law enforcement agencies are preparing for a possible indictment. Did you hear, do you hear her stuffy voice? Apparently... I'm not the only professional who works through colds and sicknesses. I don't like MSNBC, but I've got to give kudos and respect the professionalism of anyone who just works through the sickness. I was a jazz and Lakers fan back in the day when I was into sports. But man, Jordan winning while having a flu or food poisoning... Got to respect the professionalism, even if it's on the opposing side.
2: Law enforcement agencies see this as a dry run. See what happened in Miami and Manhattan as a dry run for what could happen if Atlanta prosecutors pursue charges against the former president and his top deputies. Because remember, here in Atlanta... This indictment could be much broader than what we've seen in Miami and Manhattan. It could involve members of Donald Trump's inner circle. It could involve local officials here in Georgia. So we could be looking at a a very broad indictment. And they're down in Miami, they were down in Miami this week, picking up tips on how to respond, how to prepare for for protesters, demonstrators. The media is a big part of it as well, because there'll be a crush of reporters here on top of all the demonstrators and just the passersby who just want to glimpse at uh, history.
4: Bonnie Willis and the people around her and these professionals around her taking the potential indictment, the likely indictment of Donald Trump, maybe Mark Meadows, maybe uh, Lindsey Graham, who's also involved, maybe Rudy Giuliani and others extremely seriously, as they should, they wouldn't be going through all of these measures. And taking all of these measures and sending Fulton County sheriffs from Atlanta to New York and now Miami if this didn't involve Donald Trump. In fact, the Fulton County Sheriff's Office posted on its own Twitter feed, we'll put it up here, an announcement that in light of the fact that the Fulton County prosecutor has announced that sometime in the summer, and we know that's starting July 11th through 9-1, through September 1. And the, and the tweet goes on to say that we know that the Fulton County District Attorney is looking into the criminal investigation, into the attempts to interfere with the administration of the 2020 Georgia general election. And based on that, the uh, press release says, they have decided to send people from the office, law enforcement, to both New York and Miami.
0: Frank, the AJC reports, quote, there are many reasons why Georgia may want to look to its southern neighbor when it comes to handling Trump. Florida is closer to Georgia politically than New York, has more similar gun laws. And Miami and Atlanta's law enforcement resources also pale in comparison with New York City. All right, folks, that's just news that indicates that, yes, yet another false, fake Trump indictment is forthcoming. All right. Let's turn now to CBS News and Catherine Herridge and what she has learned. Catherine Herridge's reporting has been uh, great. Another great person at Fox News. Uh, She left Fox News years ago. They could have benefited uh, from still having her. But she's got some inside information on the tactics that the Trump attorneys are using to get a sneak peek, look under the hood of what Jack Smith's special counsel may be up to. Who's going to represent the former president? So much chaos inside of his legal team. And by the way, folks, if you missed my reporting on this about all the chaos having to do with Trump's legal team and how they are weaponizing against anyone who tries to represent President Trump or those within his inner circle and allies, how they try to disbar them, harass them, make life impossible for them, etc. And how President Trump Uh, What they're doing and why the attorneys need security clearances uh, in this case, please watch the beginning of my previous uh, report. Uh, from Sunday, Father's Day.
1: Well, they haven't ruled out adding even more lawyers, especially down in Florida, as they address this indictment in that state. What I learned in my conversations over the weekend with sources close to his legal team is that as a threshold issue, they're likely anticipating some limited discovery to kind of get under the hood of the special counsel's case and the strength of the evidence.
0: Trump's lawyers want to see what Jack Smith has as far as evidence. Now, we know that the deep state flipped one of his previous attorneys because they didn't recognize the client privilege attorneys of President Trump. And there's 40 pages from Mr. Cochran that they're using as evidence. But what's the strength of that evidence? That is what the folks on Trump's legal folks want to see. And then we have uh, this 2 prong strategy that, according to Kathleen Herridge, they will be using.
1: And then the other two top-tier targets are a motion to dismiss, based on allegations of prosecutorial misconduct. You're familiar with that through your own reporting. And then the second is to get excluded these notes from Evan Corcoran, the former defense attorney, which are at the heart of this obstruction case. And the thing that I learned this weekend, which was new to me, is that these notes are more than 40 pages in length. So I think it is fair to say in this indictment, we're seeing a snapshot of those conversations and not quite the full picture.
0: Now let's look a little bit uh, deeper under the hood of this whole thing, okay? So as Trump's legal team is preparing to file this motion to dismiss the case, obviously prosecutorial uh, misconduct is all over the place. Everyone's anti-Trump. There's no fairness whatsoever. They aren't recognizing attorney-client privileges and all kinds of things that have happened against President Trump. We know they've, they've tried to bribe people. And threaten people. To uh, extort people I should say. Or blackmail them. All kinds of different tactics. To get them to turn and flip on Trump. So the, the lawyer's going to ask. The judge Eileen Cannon. To unseal Obama. Appointed judge. Uh, Beryl Howell's order. Obliterating the Trump attorney client privilege. With his lawyer Eric Corcoran. Now. Let's uh, back up for a second. We know that. Eileen Cannon is a Trump-appointed judge. But we've got to go look at what Judge Beryl Howell has done. She's an Obama an Obama appointee. And she was the first to oversee Jack Smith's classified documents case and the January 6th case against President Trump. And she has been anti-Trump and a total ally, tool, puppet of the deep state from the very beginning at every single turn She's always ruled against President Trump and his legal team. She was the one who ordered Trump's lawyers, Evan uh, Evan Cochran, to testify before a grand jury in the special counsel's investigation into Mar-a-Lago from the very get-go. She essentially flipped him into a witness, like I said uh, previously, when she obliterated his attorney-client privileges with Trump. Howell ruled DOJ prosecutors met the threshold for the crime fraud exception for Trump's attorney, even though that's not true. And then now Jack uh, Smith uh, Jack Smith is using uh, Corcoran's notes against President Trump. And that is what the legal team wants to see. That's what they want to get a, a peek at, get an idea of, of, of what, what, what's in there. So according to the indictment, Jack Smith used these notes memorialized by Trump's lawyers against President Trump. And these were privileged conversations between the two of them, which have led to all of these uh, counts. Uh, Conspiracy to obstruct, withholding a document or record, uh, corruptly concealing a document or record, and false statements. Now, what's this uh, prosecutorial misconduct that the Trump team is going to use to dismiss the case? Well, let me play you last week what former Trump attorney Tim uh, Parlatori, let me play you what he said about this prosecutorial misconduct.
1: The Trump attorneys have raised questions about prosecutorial misconduct in this case. What did you witness?
0: I witnessed a lot of
2: misconduct.
1: What did that look like?
2: So I... Uh, it's been reported. I went before the grand jury myself. Um, I was not subpoenaed. I went involuntarily mm-hmm. um, you know, in the place of a custodian of records. And I was really stunned by what I saw in the grand jury room by the conduct of the prosecutors. You know, they made many attempts to, uh, to try to get at privileged communications. They would ask me about conversations with my client. They would make improper
0: references to the jury, trying to mislead them about that. Remember, folks, these aren't new attorneys. These, this is a Department of Justice, and they're asking an attorney about privileged information they should know better. Thus, prosecutorial misconduct. This is misconduct, a conduct that is not becoming of the Department of Justice and U.S. attorneys. And then they're playing games with the jury and grand jury. I mean, this is classic kangaroo court, deep state mafia, legal mafia tactics. And that's not all.
2: There's more. At one point, it got to the level where, you know, they're asking me this again, and then they'll turn to the grand jury. and say, So you're refusing to provide this information. No, I'm not refusing to provide. The ethical rules prohibit me. Even if the answer to this question is helpful, I'm not allowed to give it. And I turned to the jury and I said, and she knows it. She knows that it's an improper question. It's an improper inference. That then led to an exchange where she tried saying, well, the privilege has exceptions. It could be waived. Yes. Well, if the president's so cooperative, why won't he waive privilege and allow you to tell the grand jury about his conversations?
1: Why does that cross a legal red line?
2: That that crosses a major red line as far as implying guilt to a jury based on the invocation of a constitutional right. It's the kind of thing that if that had happened in a trial court, the judge would have immediately stopped everything, probably declared a mistrial, and it's the kind of thing that, quite frankly, an attorney, a prosecuting attorney who willfully does that type of thing would potentially face discipline. And I think that they probably will when this case comes out.
0: Wow. They know better, but they're doing it anyway. The kind of things that would, would, would have a mistrial in any other case. But this isn't any other case. This is the deep state with yet another hoax against President Trump, the people's choice for president. We the people who were robbed. November of 2020, and the cover-up continues. And who is a great assistant to that cover-up? They can't look partisan all the time, so they have to bring out their cover-uppers, Republicans, and their favorite Republican to cover up for the crimes of the deep state. Not just Hunter Biden. That's right. Not just covering for Hunter Biden, but also adding a voice against President Trump. And of course, I'm talking about Billy Barr, Trump's former attorney general and one of the biggest cover uppers in American history. Do you believe
3: he lied to the Justice Department? Do I personally believe it? Yes, I do.
0: And do you believe that that he, he continues to claim that he has all these privileges and rights under the Presidential Records Act? Huge reminder, folks. The Presidential Records Act is a civil act. This is a civil case, but that doesn't matter. Just like we saw with Alvin Bragg in New York City, they can make civil cases and misdemeanors into offenses of the felony type, or in this case, they can make criminal out of civil. Of course, they have no case for this. That's why the prosecutorial misconduct... And that's why these false charges having to do with espionage. Before I go to play the rest of the clip, isn't it the most ridiculous thing to think that President Trump would be guilty of espionage? This is a guy that has been stronger against all of our enemies without getting us into new wars and less friendly and cozy with them than every single rat bastard before him that came out wrong because it makes it sound like President Trump is one of the rat bastards like all of the ones that came before him that were rat bastards like Hillary Clinton and Obama and Bill Clinton who is also beholden to China and others Bill Barr's job of course is to continue covering up for the deep state and make Trump the enemy
3: Is he mischaracterizing the act? Absolutely Absolutely uh, the legal theory by which he gets to take battle plans and, and sensitive national security information as his personal papers is absurd. It's just as wacky as the legal doctrine they came up with for you know having the vice
0: president unilaterally determine who won the election. Bill Barr, you're such an a-hole. The Constitution does not have in its limited... Verbiage, anything that is just customary or procedural for the for the sake of of procedure. Mike Pence was asked not to unilaterally stop the certification, but to recognize that some of the states had doubts of their certification and wanted time back to review those and make sure they have the right electors. The whole reason why we have a certification is to make sure that it's supposed to be certified correctly. It's not just an automatic rubber stamp. The Constitution doesn't have rubber stamps. I'm not an attorney general, and even I know that, Attorney General Bill Barr, because you are a lying, sneaky, backstabbing, cover upper, anti-constitutional, pro-tyranny rat bastard. The whole purpose of the statute,
3: the Presidential Records Act, is was to stop presidents from taking official documents out of the White House. It was passed after Watergate. That's the whole purpose of it. And therefore, it restricted what a president can take. It says it's purely private that had nothing to do with uh, the uh, deliberations of government policy. Obviously, these documents are not purely private. It's it's obvious. And they're not even now arguing that it's purely private. What they're saying is the president just has sweeping discretion to say they are, even though they squarely don't fall within the definition. It's an absurd argument.
0: Once again, it's a civil matter, not a criminal matter. And second, uh, why does Mike Pence, a vice president who never had access, just unfettered access to declassify or have classified information outside of a skiff, Or better yet, the former vice, I'm talking about Mike Pence, or the other former vice president, Joe Biden, who has documents from when he was a senator all over the damn place. And nothing happens to them. Now, my language has been pretty harsh on Bill Barr. And so far, I can get away with it. Now, if Attorney General Bill Barr... Were Brigadier General Bill Barr, then I might have a problem. What are you talking about, James? Well, check this out. Breitbart today. The U.S. Army's Protective Services Battalion, the Department of Defense's equivalent of the Secret Service, is now monitoring social media to see if anyone has posted negative comments about the United States' highest-ranking military officers. This is an article at The Intercept. Pentagon Secret Service trawls social media for mean tweets about generals. Wow. When the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, enters into his scheduled retirement later this year, one of the perks will include a personal security detail to protect him from threats, including embarrassment. Wow. Wow. The U.S. Army Protective Services Battalion, the Pentagon's little-known Secret Service equivalent, is tasked with safeguarding top military brass. The unit protects current as well as former high-ranking military officers from assassination, kidnapping, injury, or embarrassment. Protective Services mandate has expanded to include monitoring social media for direct, indirect, and veiled threats and identifying negative sentiment regarding its wards. This is according to an Army procurement document dated September 1st, 2022. Wow. According to The Intercept, the expansion of the Protective Services Battalion purview has not been previously reported. This is now being reported that back in September, under this anti-American, horrible regime known as the Joe Biden administration, now the purview, the mandate... They eat it, the marching orders of the U.S. Army Protective Services Battalion, a.k.a. the Secret Service of the military. They are now to hide, excuse me, now to be uh, in charge of protecting military and former military officials from embarrassment. Yeah, you do things that are embarrassing, it should be out there. I don't know, like be a biological male wearing a dress, going out there showing that you are mentally disabled, yet you are leading American military forces. Or that you were telling China that you're going to give them a heads up against the president, a total act of not just defiance, but treason that by military code would get you the firing squad. The Orwellian nature of the Ministry of Truth is right there before our faces. The country's national security machinery has become increasingly focused on social media, particularly as it relates to disinformation. Disinformation, excuse me. Various national security agencies have spent years standing standing up offices all over the federal government to counter. The purported threat. The purported threat, of course, of American people know what's going on. Very, very good article. The bottom line is this, though. Now, thought crimes on social media are going to be looked at, and you're going to be spied on by the Pentagon, essentially, for having dissenting opinions against military officials. Once again... Let's not forget, oh, this little pesky thing we have to call the Constitution. And this little pesky 10 amendments we, known as, we know as the Bill of Rights. And this pesky first one that gives, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, you know, freedom of the press to report on things we don't like about our uh, leaders, both military and otherwise. According to the Intercept... They're not just going to be searching social media like you think of. Oh, what you said on Facebook, what I said on YouTube, what might be on Instagram or TikTok. No, they're going to. They're even going looking at anonymous and semi-anonymous discussion boards like 8chan, 4chan, Reddit, Discord, Telegram. Big brother is watching, and big brother is not happy. With the loss of control and the narrative. Absolutely freaking amazing where we're at here in America. 2023 under a regime of a fake president known as Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. All right, let's talk about what's going on with Tucker Carlson. And his expansion of his team as he siphons off and facilitates a mass exodus. Tucker Carlson's broadcast team is growing at the expense of Fox News, miss, according to his biographer, and that biographer is Chadwick Moore. Let's look at this uh, tweet from over the weekend. The these the series of tweets. Let's start off with this one. My sources have told me nine former Tucker Carlson Tonight staffers have left Fox News to join Tucker on his next venture. There are others who are waiting to leave as soon as a role opens for them with Tucker. Each of the nine approached Tucker, not the other way around. Tucker Carlson's team at Fox News was extremely close. Most of them were there from the launch of the show until its end, and they stood by their boss in the aftermath. I write about it in my book. Also quietly, many familiar faces with, from Tucker Carlson Tonight Or refusing to appear on Fox News since Tucker was bizarrely pulled off the air. And not just the ones who got blacklisted from writing a book about him. Perhaps a reference to Harmeet Dillon. Who says that she will not go on Fox News. Because of what they did to Tucker Carlson. And she has encouraged others to also not go on Fox News. Here's her tweets uh, from before the weekend. For all friends who have been asking why you don't see uh, we don't why we don't see you on Fox anymore. This is why I'm passionately committed to free speech and a free flow of information necessary for a free society. Until Fox stops trying to silence Tucker, it's not a place for me, and I feel for my friends working at the network, which has clearly caved into pressure from some quarter to silence Tucker Carlson. What you are seeing on Fox today is a censored version of the news. Keep that in mind as you keep as you make your viewing and your commenting choices. Well, folks, they are trying to silence us and that is why tucker carlson is now on twitter and why i am bringing this show free of youtube tyranny on patreon on locals and on the bcp podcast network all of the platforms that you can all the big platforms that you can catch Podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Spotify, etc. We thank you for your support. I'm feeling good, folks. Expect another detailed from me tomorrow, another detailed one. Until then, my uh, my dad who still works in finance has Juneteenth off, so we're going to have an early afternoon barbecue. Hasta mañana. Ciao, goodbye. Big hug. God bless. Gotta give us what we want. Uh, give us what we need. Hey. Our freedom of speech hey. is freedom of death. We, we got, got to fight the power. that Fight yeah. the power.